I brought a good friend of mine who also works for Igniting Hope, Connie Jones, and I, I was telling her after worship, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if I can come up out of where I was during worship to actually speak. And she goes, oh, don't, don't even come up. Just, you know, <laughs> speak from those deep places in the presence. And I was like, all right, let's see if that works. <laughs> so easy to just get drunk in the spirit here. Wow. Oh, Jesus. I was just thinking about, um, yeah, th- this may be disjointed because I'm just, I'm flowing in the river. <laughs> oh, just thinking about, you know, in the Garden of Eden, how Adam used to walk with the Lord and I'd read somewhere, you know, we know that the kingdom of heaven is where? Within us. For most of us, that's still just a theology. (laughs) Because if we really believed the kingdom of heaven was within us, then we wouldn't be looking out there for our answers. We'd be releasing, you know, a, a popular song in the 70s when we first got saved was, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. I don't sing, so. And in renewal in the 90s, God brought that back to me. And he had me singing it over and over, but not as a song, but as a declaration. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes, it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Something in me is making the blind to see, the lame to leap. What if we really believed that what we carried? And then I was thinking about Adam walking in the garden. And I've, anybody else ever, you know, just meditated on the fact that God thought it was important to mention that there were four rivers in the garden? It's like, nice info. <laughs> What's that for? So I've, you know, whenever I meditate on it, I'm like, Why'd you mention that? And why are there four? You usually only need one river for a garden. And he began to talk to me and remind me about that song. And he said, you know, the first three represent the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The fourth is the river within you. So when we walk in the garden with God, in the kingdom that dwells within us, the rivers begin to just flow forth out of us, changes us. The thing is, and, and this is, you know, <clears throat> the message, you know, like it, this is kind of the same message as this weekend, only in a different format. You know, we had some people that say, you always talk about the same things, just in a different way. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> And we actually, when we actually see you doing it, we'll stop. <laughs> the key is, is to realize that until we can get our brain into unity with what we really believe, you know, our brain actually imprisons our spirit until we allow our spirit to change our brain. You know, it, your, your spirit is supposed to train your brain to hear the voice of the spirit. And we have to retrain how we view reality. You know, when God talks about us being a new creation, he's not talking about a new and improved human. But our brain only can identify with humanity. We actually have to, on purpose, begin to search out what does it mean to be a new creation, something I've never been been before. And one of the examples God kind of showed me is, have you guys ever seen someone who's possessed by demons? A few of you. Let me tell you. It's amazing. I've, you know, worked with demon-possessed people, and because they're possessed, these people do things that are physically, in the natural, impossible. That's why it's a little scary. It's like, that's not humanly possible. How are they bending like that? 
We used to have witches that would come into Bethel and Reading and they'd be up against the back wall and they would be levitating. Because because they were possessed by a demon, they were not subject to the natural laws of this earth. They literally could make the physical body above and beyond what the natural body can do. Here's the kicker. God doesn't just possess us so we can do what's not natural. He actually created a being that can transcend the natural laws of this world. He does possess us. He lives within us. But when a person is possessed by a demon, they take over their will and they become more powerful in the being than than the person living in it. When God comes in, he actually creates a whole new being. So we're not just robots of a God who lives in us. We're a new creation that actually is capable of transcending the laws of this world. But until we can convince ourselves that that is so, we probably never will. I think I shared this last time I was here, but just for where I'm going, I feel like I need to share it again for those who haven't heard me. Quite a few years ago, I... um, When, well, when we first moved to Reading about, I don't know, nine years ago, somewhere in there, we, um, I, I don't have an office because we were hired to travel from Bethel in Reading. And so when I met with people like students or staff or something, I always went to the same coffee shop and did that for about five years. And then one of our ex-interns, opened up a coffee shop, and I thought, well, I'm going to switch and, you know, support him. So I told my PA, you know, start making all my appointments at the new coffee shop. And so the first week that I had appointments, my conscious mind knew I was going to a new coffee shop. Unfortunately, while I was driving, my conscious mind started thinking of something else. And I ended up parked in front of the old coffee shop. And... um I remember the car was turned off and everything. I'm parked in front of the old coffee shop, and it's like I came to. And I was like, what am I doing here? This isn't where I wanted to go. And that happened two and a half times that week. The half was I almost went to the old coffee shop. So when I'm making a U-turn to go to the correct place, I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, Wendy, unless you change the spirit of your mind, you'll always end up where you've always been. Because it is not your conscious mind that drives you. It can as long as you're conscious. And fortunately, some experts say that you're only living consciously 5% of your day. Because you are doing things all day long unconsciously. Scary thought. So the biggest thing that, you know, my passion is to get people to understand is that we do not believe what we think we believe. We believe something consciously, but if we haven't changed the the subconscious belief systems that are deep within us, then as soon as we're tired or overwhelmed or anxious or fearful, guess where we, where we end up? Where we've always been. We have to make a intentional effort to renew our mind, the subconscious thinking, because that's when Christian life becomes easy. When you first become a Christian, you're consciously trying to remember, oh, I don't cuss anymore. Oh, I, I don't want to do that anymore. You're consciously thinking of what you don't want to do. You're consciously thinking of what you do want to do. And it's a heavy burden until we get it deep within us. And then we can live as a Christian unconsciously. I don't have to fight sin because I'm living from something different. The problem is, is we don't even know how different we are. We tend to think that God is requiring us as humans to be supernatural. We think he's requiring us to be holy when we're not. 
The only reason God can require you to be holy is because it's your natural state of being. But we are still allowing our old dead self to control us. Because we still think we are alive, we give it room. So there's this thing about, okay, how do I change my subconscious thinking so that I can live this Christian life? And I love how the brain works, so I do a lot of study on it. And I ran across a secular study on how to change your subconscious thinking. And the first thing that they mentioned is repetition. We all know that. That's why we make declarations, right? We speak things over and over and over until all of a sudden one day it feels true. It's why some people think they're stupid when they're not is because they heard it over and over and then they repeated it in their mind over and over until it actually becomes a defining point in their life and they think this is who I am. This is what I am. And they're not. So repetition's really big. And I just want to make a a comment. Some of us think that we are renewing our mind just by um, saying something. Because I used to do my declarations just by saying it. But there was a part of my brain that was resisting it every time I said it. You actually need to have an emotion and a picture of it in your mind when you say it. I never make new declarations without first imagining and feeling what it's going to feel like when it's true. I'm above and not beneath. Well, then I've got to spend time meditating on that. What does that look like in real life? And, and, and the key is, is that sometimes we think I'm above and not beneath because something out there is manipulating out here when actually it comes from in here. We have to feel like victors. We have to feel like we're above the normal circumstance, even when it doesn't show up out here. Most of us use our outer world to define our inner world. And that's backwards. We're supposed to define who we are first and what we are and allow it to define our outer world. Stop looking for proof that you're above and not beneath by out here. You settle it in here because this is the kingdom that flows out. It's not out here flowing in. It's kind of like someone who has a problem with rejection. We tend to think, well, I'll believe that when people start, you know, accepting me. They'll accept my personality and what I am. And it's backwards. You are allowing people to define your kingdom. It's like, okay, first I have to define it here. Success is not a goal. Success is a state of being. And the more that... Can I get a little weird here? The only way I can, you know, because the unseen realm, we can only describe it through things that we know on the earth. So what if, just for example's sake... There's a frequency for every emotion and belief within us. And like is attracted to like. So if I had a frequency that I'm not worthy, and I'm trying to get a frequency from out there, actually all I'm going to get is unworthy stuff coming to me. Have you ever been around someone that makes you nervous and you just want to get away from them? It's not their personality. It's just we don't like to be nervous. And their frequency of nervousness makes us back away. People don't usually reject you because of your personality. They're rejecting you because you're putting off a frequency that makes them uncomfortable. Someone's trying too hard to make you like them. 
And it's not that they're trying hard to make you like them. It's their nervousness, their anxiety of wanting to be liked. Does that make sense? So we should never become the victim to what they're doing. Now when I'm with someone who I can sense they're nervous, the problem is is we're so focused on what other people are carrying that we forget what we're carrying. So now my thing is as soon as I feel their nervousness, I remember who I am. My kingdom brings peace. So I step a little closer. And I allow the atmosphere of my kingdom to affect their kingdom. Greater is he that is in you. But we can't, we can't expend what we're unaware that we have which takes the renewing of the mind. So declaration, picture it. You know, if I like to take scripture like if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So if I'm going to use that as a declaration, then I want to know what that looks like. That sounds to me like a spirit that is so powerful that dead death cannot be there is going to be affected by it. So I'm going to spend time repeating and picturing, you know, me walking by dead people and they're accidentally healed because I'm just, you know, overflowing with the beat of resurrection. Because the more you focus on what you're carrying, the greater weight it has when you're you're releasing it. So take your declarations to a whole nother level. And imagine it, take time. You know, we, we unconsciously take time to imagine negative things. And we need to intentionally take time to imagine positive things. I'm fully convinced that the imagination was created for faith, and yet hardly any Christians are using their imagination. It's the womb. Gird up the loins of your mind. You know what loins are, right? (laughs) Reproductive. That's why Jesus said, even if you just think about, you know, another woman, you're having adultery. Partly because your mind doesn't know the difference between what it's imagined and what's actually happened. Think on these things. He's so into the mind because the mind is kind of the gateway for the releasing of the spirit. So number one is repetition. Spend time imagining. Use the imagination. Faith is not blind. It's visionary. And can I even suggest that if you can't see what you're believing for, you have no faith for it. If it's just some vague thing of I just want out of this, I just don't want lack, or I want to be anointed, but you can't picture what anointing looks like in your life, then you're just having wishful thinking because you plant the seed in the womb and you nourish it by focus, by imagining what it's like until your brain actually feels it's true. We had a lady this weekend, after I was talking about some of the stuff, who said that she used to be a long-distance runner, and she used a technique that a lot of sports people use, which is the imagination. And she would imagine every stage of the run before the race ever took place. And once she knew where her weaknesses were, like she said, somewhere around mile 20 or 23 is where she would have the roughest time to keep going. And she said, so I started imagining that's when I got my second wind. That's where I took off. And she pictured something different. And because the mind doesn't know the difference between the two, the The mind is convinced I can do it because I've done it before. That's why after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, a bunch of other people were able to too because now they can imagine it can happen. And I know some of you are like, what if I imagine something that's not true? And I'm like, you've been doing that for 30 years. (laughs) 
That's always bugged me that it was okay to imagine something that's not true, like worry, but it's not okay to imagine something good. I mean, even if it never happens, it's more fun than imagining negative. So gird up the loins of your mind through the imagination. Take the word of God, plant it in the imagination so that you can actually attach faith to what you see. Faith means you see something other people can't see and you believe it's true. And God actually created the mind to work with this principle. I mean, he tried to make faith easy for us. He said, I'll just make their brain believe it's true. So take time with the repetition of the picture and always continue imagining until an emotion comes up because if you can release a chemical emotion while you're imagining something, it will solidify the brain connections. Don't just, you know, picture it and then move on. Think about when you worry. You usually worry until you get anxious. Until an emotion comes up with it. So do that. Number two, if we're changing the spirit of our mind or our subconscious, is, and again, this is a little bit weird, but it was a science secular book, and it said, One of the best ways to change your subconscious thinking is to get your brain into what's called the theta brain wave. You you know we all have different brain wave lengths, and they're for different purposes. The theta brain wave length is the brain wave that happens when you're almost asleep. You're awake, but not quite or when you're just waking up, or when you're meditating, if you know how to meditate correctly. So I'm I'm talking to God about this natural thing, and and also the article said that, do you know why little children learn faster than we do? Why they say before the age of seven, if you want them to learn another language, teach it to them before they're seven? It's because... Until the age of seven, their brain is in the theta brain wave. So they learn so quickly. And some of it is wrong. (laughs) You know, if they're in an abusive home or an unhealthy home, when they're in that brain wave, they're just taking it in as fact and truth because it's bypassing the logic and just coming into the, the subconscious thinking. So as I'm talking to God, I'm like, well, how do we do this? And he said, well, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're in worship, you are so unaware of anything but the spirit, and it's because your brain went into the theta brainwave, and it's just spirit to spirit. You don't have that other voice in your head. And it's why in worship... God will get us to say things that we would not normally say. You know, like, I've got a river of life flowing out of me that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. You know, it's like, that's okay to say in a song, but I would never say that from up front. And mean it, anyway. That might be prideful. And then, why do we have to say it so many times? Because we get into a place of spirit to spirit. Our brain shuts down a little bit. It goes into that half awake, half asleep. Our spirit rises up and it begins to proclaim things. Or we meditate on God's presence. I got so much revelation just from soaking in his presence. I would shut down my brain. I'd have maybe some worship music on. And at first, it took me a long time to get into the theta brainwave, and I didn't realize that's what I was doing. But once I did, things would just start popping in my head. Things from the Spirit and from the Lord. The problem is, is most of us as Christians never shut down. We live in a state of stress and anxiety, and we think it's normal. 
you cannot reprogram your subconscious thinking from that state. I'm above and not beneath. I'm above and, you know. I don't care how long you say it. If you're striving to believe it, you probably never will. It comes from a place of rest. Soaking in God's presence takes us there, and we learn how to quiet the body, how to quiet the brain. And we allow, because you can only worship spirit to spirit. Sometimes we think we're worshiping, but we're just worshiping brain to God. That's a nice sacrifice, but it's not the goal. And then the third was interesting. The third is, and this, of course, is a secular article, but they said it's through traumatic events. And at first I'm like, well, that's depressing because I was thinking of a traumatic event as only a negative thing. You know, rejection, betrayal, rape, doing something shameful. You know, it's like, well, so the in, only the enemy gets to, you know, <laughs> shift our our subconscious thinking, and he said, no, 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 they've missed the point. It's not just a negative traumatic event. It's any event that is grippingly emotional, like an encounter with God. It reminded me when I started counseling people and so many women that it was like one event, one event of um, abuse or sexual abuse changed their life and what they believed deep inside forever. And it was like all these counseling appointments and the things they had to go through. And I was getting mad at God. And it's like, this is not fair that one event has affected their life forever. And he said, Wendy, if one encounter with darkness can change their life forever, then how about one encounter with light? Shouldn't it be even more traumatic or whatever the positive of trauma is? (laughs) I've been traumatized by God's love. (laughs) I'll never be the same again. No matter how much you try to tell me he doesn't exist, he's not going to come through for me. I just, I'm sorry, I can't believe it. Because I've been traumatized by love. Unfortunately, most of us think that we have to wait for a sovereign move of God to encounter us. It's not true. I've had both. Bill Johnson likes to tell people, anytime you have an encounter with God, it is now your legal place to go. Every place you put your foot, I have given you. The problem is we don't go back to those old encounters as our land. I can do that by allowing the spirit within me to paint a picture in my mind of what I saw, what I experienced, and he can even enlarge on it. You know, this, it, the, this whole message can sound just weird, but the thing is, we need to realize that something's missing in the body of Christ. The world out there has so many issues and problems that a humanistic Christianity will not be able to solve. We've been waiting. We've been doing the same thing over and over and over, thinking, you know, surely, eventually, this is going to work. You know, I shared at the women's thing, you know, if the, the, if, I misquoted a Texas proverb, all right? God just told me, this is how he interpreted it, is if the horse is dead, get off. Because it's not taking you anywhere. We get so confused with what faithfulness is that we think if I just keep riding this dead horse faithfully, I'll make it to the promised land. If you haven't made it to the promised land yet, you're on a dead horse. The enemy, when things don't work, 
He tries to make you think you're the problem rather than the method you're writing. If I just work harder, what if it's something completely different? What if it's, what if I just believe something so strongly that I really believe I'm a whole new creation? There is something in me that can change everything out there. Because there is. There's a river of life, and it's being held up by our belief systems that don't understand the supernatural creature that we've been created to be. We don't do the supernatural. We are supernatural. We keep wanting God to do something, you know, we're praying for him to do things that he actually told us to do because we don't want to, you know, steal his glory. The only way you can even think that you are stealing his glory is if you have made God so small that the things that he told you to do would make him nervous. There is no competition. He is not intimidated by your glory. The problem isn't don't become small. The problem is we need to arise and shine. And it's not talking about a physical rising. It's talking about the kingdom within you has to arise. You have to feel it within you. You have to spend time imagining this light, this presence of peace and power and authority and anointing is within me. And I have to allow it room. I have to know who I am. We've spent so much time, and this is, you know, it's key that we spend time on knowing who the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is, but that's only three rivers. Spend some time finding out who you are. Stop using what you do to prove that you're not a new creation. You know, I was thinking, I, I like to practice because I, I heard, you know, I'm, Steve and I are really after joy, and so I heard that we all have a joy center in the brain, and it becomes enlarged and gives you more joy capacity the more your parents laughed and smiled in your face. And the less you saw joyful parents, the less capacity you have for joy. I think we need to have joy classes where we take people into the presence of God and we say, now look at him laugh and smile at you. Because I want to build your joy center. Usually when we go to his presence, we think he's all uptight and, you know, do this, do that. He's not a master, he's a father. So during worship, I was just allowing him to laugh and smile in my face. And I had this picture, you know, when toddlers are learning to walk, they take a step. They fall down, they look at their parents, and guess what their parents are doing? They're not, oh, you fell down again. They have this look of joy of, oh, you took a step. Do you realize you can only fall if you've been standing? What if every time we're trying something new, we're trying to overcome something, we're trying to come into something, what if every time we fall and fail, we looked at the Father's face and he was like, good job, look at you, you went four hours without doing that. How much joy would we have? We need to allow him to celebrate our progress. Because it does something within us that we need desperately. Stop having religious devotions. If you don't feel energized and alive after your devotions, it probably didn't work. And that's not for condemnation. I mean, I don't... Yeah, get off that horse. His pre- if you've been in his presence, you will feel more alive because he's life. He's joy. He's peace. He's empowerment. If you feel weaker after devotions, you did not fellowship with the Father. Even this is process. I mean, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll have devotions even if I, you know, actually, I, let me be honest, I don't have devotions because just the word turns me off. I talk to God. 
I use the word not because I have to read it, but because I know he's going to reveal something that will lead me into more empowerment and grace and love. And he's, he's trying to tell me who I am. He's trying to tell me what I can do. So don't use that as permission to say I don't need to read the word or, you know, pray. I just think that we should be talking to him all the time. If we believe we're supernatural, then we should be in connection to the unseen realm at all times. For the simplest things. Sometimes I'll forget and I'll, I'll, you know, like something simple. I'll eat really poorly and then I'll feel bad because I ate stuff I know I'm not supposed to eat. So I'll just invite the supernatural in. I'll ask my angel. I know his name. Do you guys know your angel's names? Why is it okay to ask demons what their name is when you're casting them out, but it's not okay to ask your angel what his name is? It could be because the enemy's trying to separate the team, drive a wedge between the ministering spirits that were sent to the saints, and we're afraid to work hand in hand with them. Why is it okay? in the Bible to hear about, you know, these people who say they have angelic encounters and we're like, oh, that's so spiritual. But someone next to you says that they met an angel and you're like, that's weird. (laughs) You're just weird. I love the story in Acts when Peter gets let out of jail by the angel and he goes to the house where the disciples are praying and um, the servant girl sees it's Peter and she slams the door in his face and goes to the disciples, Peter's here. And they're like, no, no, that can't be, you know, he's in jail. It must be his angel. Because, yeah, that makes more sense. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of like, well, what world are they living in that that makes more sense? I would have more faith that somehow we got out of jail than that his angel was at the door. Yeah, but we're just, we're kind of taught, you know, we'll, we'll just ignore them so that we don't worship them. It's like, really? If talking to angels makes you worship them, then stop talking to your dog. Stop talking to demons, even. If we're going to live in two realms at the same time, we need to stop ignoring what's in this realm of the kingdom. If it's on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to realize that he's given us the same resources there, here. Maybe we're not getting breakthrough in some areas because we're bypassing the governmental structure of heaven because of our fear of the angelic of the ministering spirits. What if we actually believed? Because the kingdom is in here, do you know what that means? It means we're the doorway between the two realms. It's why the big fight for humanity took place is because when God put Adam and Eve on the earth, he gave them authority over the earth. He was using his delegated authority for us to take dominion. He didn't say, now I'll take dominion. He said, you take dominion. But we're afraid. We're afraid of authority. We're afraid of knowing who we are. What if I get too big? What if I get too powerful? <sighs> I hate to say it, but that, that's more fearful to people than being weak. <sighs> we need to actually arise and shine till people start wondering, what are they? <sighs> if we're the doorway... We have to bring his realm into this realm. We need to take the limits off of our brain. I have a vision of what would happen if the body of Christ really began to arise and shine. If they really knew who they were. If they, you know, oh, I forgot. This morning when I was just meditating with the Lord, it kind of broke my heart because During the weekend, I talked about taking mountains and that 
there are so many mountains, you know, the, and I'm not talking about the seven kingdom mountains. I'm talking about like the mountain of cancer, the mountain of lack, the mountain of depression, the mountain of, you know, whatever it is that makes your heart cry and you feel like this is not right. I want to begin to establish the, the kingdom of God in this area. There's all these mountains. And I felt like God said, the reason it's taking so long is because people that were anointed to take that mountain so that it could be a breakthrough for everybody else were either aborted or they were so unhealthy and the church rejected the person who was supposed to take the mountain of cancer. The church rejected the person who was supposed to take the mountain of lack. We don't know. Everybody you meet, the reason we need to encourage them and and spur them on and believe in them is because they may take the mountain that you're going to need a breakthrough in. But you need to know what mountain you're going after. That gives me vision when I know what my mountain is. Something that I, you know, for he who overcomes will gain a crown of life. So anything you overcome, you now have authority in. You are at the top of the mountain. You become a breakthrough for everybody else struggling with that. Find out what it is. It's usually something you've suffered under yourself. You may be suffering under it currently. And you're wondering, how come so-and-so got an instant breakthrough and I am still in this mess? It's like because you're not getting a sovereign breakthrough. You're someone who actually climbs the mountain and becomes the breakthrough for everybody else. Because you won it. You didn't just endure the mountain. You overcame it with the word of the Lord and the testimony and the, the kingdom within you somehow arose and said, no more. No. And I'll end with this. You may have heard this before. But um, Steve and I read in a book once where the third group of men that tried to climb Mount Everest died. And they had this big banquet for the team in honor of them. And there was a big picture of Mount Everest in the banqueting hall. And the speaker got up to speak, and he looked at the picture, and he said, Mount Everest, you've beaten us once, you've beaten us twice, you've beaten us three times, but we will defeat you because you can't get any bigger, but we can Whatever mountain you're facing, cancer, you've beaten us once, you've beaten us twice, you've beaten us three times, but we will defeat you because you can't get any bigger, but we can. Talk to your mountain. Realize the things that you're going through, the anointing that's on them from darkness cannot get any bigger, but you can. All it takes is for you to decide, I am going to allow the kingdom of heaven within me. I am going to, by faith, believe that I am a whole new creation. I am not my past. I am not my sin. I am not even my body. Do you know that having a body is not what makes you human? Your body's a tent. It's a house. When Adam and Eve fell... They died, not their house, but what resided in them died. And when we're resurrected, we still have the same body, we still have the same mind that has the same memories and the same belief systems, but within you, in your house, dwells a whole new creation. And it's time to let it out. It's time to just close, yeah, yeah, just close your eyes. Let the spirit within you, the life of God, the peace of God, the power of God, he is one with you. Allow it to arise, not because you want to lord it over people, but you want to lord it over the things of darkness, over the things that have been robbing you of the promised land, of promise of peace and joy and hope. Intentionally decide to let that Begin to invade your hopelessness, your fear, your shame. 
sacrifice the belief that you are unchanged, that you'll never change. And by faith, you're not just by faith accepting Jesus. By faith, you're accepting that you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And you are a whole new creation. Attach faith to that. Attach faith to that's no longer me who sins. That is weird that I wanted to sin because that's not me. And I'm going to pull on who I am as a new creation. So, Father, I just thank you for this body of believers. I just see that they're going places that the church has never seen before. Accessing the things of heaven like never before. I thank you for the angelic that they are going to actually work side by side and allowing the angelic to begin to minister alongside them. It's not that you take authority over them, but you're co-laborers. Ask them questions. Listen, Holy Spirit, arise and shine. Come on, let it bubble up. Picture that kingdom within you. Picture that birth. Picture him smiling at who you are now. And we just thank you, Father, for revelation in this room, light in life, light in life. May we never be satisfied with anything less than who you are within us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, we're going to just do one more activation. Wasn't that incredible? Goodness. Let's just stand up. We're going to just... We're actually going to make a declaration in song that Wendy was talking about. But we're also going to just get ready to give. We want to make sure that we... It says in Galatians, it says to sow into those who labor in the word for you. So we're going to have a time of giving into Wendy. But before we do that, I just, I really feel like the Lord was just showing me something. We know that our vision is to see a region totally one for the Lord, a hundred percent. And I'm just getting tired of being told it's impossible. I'm getting tired of being told it's unrealistic. I told someone the other day, I was like, well, you can shoot for 10%. And I hope you achieve that. But I will not ask for less than the whole region. And I, I and this phrase just dropped in my heart. Because Wendy, oh, Wendy was talking about, you have to feel it. You have to know what it's going to look like. Like, what's it going to look like for a whole region? I mean, know that God gives us scripture, too, to show us what it's going to look like. And I thought of the scripture in Acts 17, 6, where it says in Thessalonica, those who have turned the world upside down have come here, too. They were talking about God's people. And they were saying, hey, those who are changing the whole world have stepped into our world. And all of a sudden, it was like I could feel it. I could feel it. It was like God was saying, yeah, it's... It's yours to ask for. And I don't just mean this church. It's the churches. But if we have to be the trumpet, we will be the trumpet. Amen? Now I want you to do this. I want you to begin to see that the kingdom of God is in you. Not as a theological truth, even though it is one of the greatest ones ever. But that it makes the difference for everything in your life. And so we're just going to sing just for a second, and we'll just see where the Lord wants to go. But then we're going to give with all of our hearts, soul, and mind, and just say, we just sow in to Steve and Wendy. We sow into their ministry. We sow into what God's doing on the earth through them. You ready? I've got a river of life flowing out to walk and blind to see. Oh, 
joyfully. this week? Does it change everything? Can we just thank the Lord with our mouths and hands one more time? Just lift up a shout in the house.